Well, unfortunately, Uncle Frank didn't give me the musical gene in the family. Just kidding, Frank is not really my uncle. (laughs) But even if he was, I'm sure I would not be able to do that. But thank you, Frank, for being with us today and for worshiping with us and leading us in worship. It's a joy to gather together each week with the people of God and to worship the Lord and to give Him thanks. Let's uh, go to God in prayer now. Father, we do thank You for this day. We thank You for each day that You give us, Lord. We thank You for each opportunity that You give us to gather in Your name among Your people, Lord. And we do pray that You would speak to us now, that You would lead us, that You would teach us, that You would transform us, that you would conform us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, we have a tendency to twist or to warp good holidays, don't we? Christmas, a celebration of the birth of a Savior, God coming to us. Yet often we overshadow that with what we might get or what our children might get or what Santa might bring our children. Thanksgiving, which began as grateful acknowledgement of an abundant harvest, a good harvest, basic provision of food has often been turned into a contest to see how much food we can stuff into our bellies before they pop, or perhaps how many good deals we can get for ourselves or someone else on or around Good Friday. We have a tendency as, as people, of something in us, hubris or pride, that causes us to be consumed with ourselves so often, something that Augustine described in the Latin as and curvatus inse, curving inward on oneself. As we think about this week, as we think about the holiday that we celebrate this time of year, as we think about Thanksgiving, I want us to think about Thanksgiving perhaps in a slightly different perspective, from a slightly different angle than uh, we're probably naturally accustomed to, something that I'm describing as centrifugal thanksgiving. But in physics, centripetal force is a force that that does just what we describe. It pulls an object that's rotating around a curve or rotating around something else, a center of a circle that forces the object, pulls the object towards the curvature, towards the center of The circle, think, for instance, of the planets in our solar system revolving around the sun and the gravitational pull of the sun, keeping those planets in orbit around the sun. They could think the same thing about the moon circling around the earth. We might think of a ball on the end of a string that's twirled around our heads and acting on the basis of centripetal force. Perhaps we think of our favorite roller coaster ride, the theme park. It flies quickly around a track, and as it 
goes around the loop and climbs to the top and follows that track upside down at the height of the crest. It is acting on the basis of centripetal force, a force that is holding the object, pulling the object toward the center of the curve. There's another kind of force described in physics, the opposite, really, of centripetal force that is described as centrifugal force. And centrifugal force, the force is directed the other way. It's directed outward. There's a push rather than a pull, a push outward away from the center of the curve. And think of mud that's slinging off a tire as it rotates down the road. Or perhaps children on a merry-go-round being pushed outward and having to hold on to stay on the ride. The reason I bring this up this morning is I think that most of us, when we think about thanksgiving and we think about giving thanks to God, we operate by what I'm going to call centripetal thanksgiving. We thank God for His goodness toward us. We thank God for the blessings that we're experiencing in our circumstances of life. And and rightly so, that is a good thing. I give thanks to God for for what He's done and what He's bringing about in my life. You give thanks to God for what He has done and what He is working about in your life. I want us to think for just a few minutes this morning about a different approach to that. Not to discount that. We're certainly called in Scripture. We're commanded in Scripture to give thanks to God, to give thanks to God in all circumstances. But I want us to think about giving thanks not just for what's happening in our own lives, in our own spheres, own circles, but to think in terms of thanking God for what is happening in the lives of others. Centrifugal thanksgiving, looking beyond our own circumstances, looking beyond our own experiences and looking into the experiences of others, particularly the experiences of fellow Christians, fellow believers, and thanking God for what He is doing, what He is working, what He is bringing about in their lives. And I think we have an example of this in Scripture. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, New Testament letter, near the end of our Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. I do invite you to look at God's Word with me as we jump into uh, these opening verses, beginning in verse 1 of this letter. Paul wrote to uh, the church in Colossae. He wrote, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now in form, this particular letter that Paul wrote is very similar, at least in the beginning, to other letters that he wrote. He began by identifying himself as the author. and He acknowledged who the intended recipient or recipients were. And then he expressed thanksgiving and prayer for them. And notice here how 
his partner in writing this letter, his partner in communicating the message of this letter, how he describes his, his partner as well as how he describes the recipients of this letter. In verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Young pastor Timothy. doesn't say Timothy, our pastor, Timothy, our leader, Timothy, our preacher, our teacher, our administrator, or whatever other things he could call Timothy. No, he says, Timothy, our brother. And he writes, in verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Writes to the faithful brothers. You know, a word that in this context implies mixed gender company, hence the NIV's translation, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I have to be honest, this morning when I was first called as pastor here at Meadowbrook, there was something in me that sort of resisted the, the title, Brother Chris. Brother Chris just sort of has this kind of old school Southern Baptist preacher feel to it, doesn't it? But in actuality, brother is, is a good term. It's a biblical term, not so much necessarily for a, a pastor or simply reserved for an office in the church, but for us as family, reminding us that we are brothers and sisters in and through Jesus Christ. And just as we saw a couple weeks ago in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when we were given instructions about how we're to relate to people in the life of the church. Remember, we read that we're to relate to older men as fathers and older women as mothers and younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters absolute purity. Just like the language that was used there was intentional, I believe that the language used here is intentional as well. Timothy, our brother, and to the holy saints in Colossae, the faithful believers, the brothers and sisters in Christ, reminding us and reminding the recipients of this letter that as believers in Christ, who have been adopted as privileged children of the Heavenly Father, we are brothers and sisters with one another. That we are family. I believe this is not just descriptive language. This is language that's used throughout the New Testament. I believe it's instructive for us as well. Telling us how, how we're to act toward one another. We are family. We may not always like our family, but we, we love our family. You know what I'm talking about. You may not always want to go on an extended vacation with all your family, but you want what is best for your family because they are your family. And as family, Christians desire God's grace and peace to be experienced by one another. As family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians desire God's grace and His peace to be experienced by one another. Look back at Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is language that is often used in the New Testament. Grace and peace to you. Language that's often even used today among Christians and signing emails or letters, 
a way of expressing something toward other believers. But this is more than just a, a casual greeting or a casual remark. The idea here is that it's truly wanting God's grace, His undeserved kindness, His undeserved favor to be experienced, to be known, to be felt by others. Truly wanting the peace that comes from God and God alone to be present and felt and active in the lives of other believers. Prayerfully asking that that God would allow His grace to be the basis of, of how we think and how we operate, how we live day after day as His people. Grace and peace to you. No, we may have different cultural backgrounds or Those represented in this church family as in any church family may have come from different social status backgrounds or even racial backgrounds or ethnic backgrounds or maybe different ages, a number of differences. We are bound together as family through the gospel of Jesus Christ by the grace of God that has been displayed toward us. And as a result of that unification, we are to participate in thanking God for one another and thanking God for His intervention in the life of one another. We learn from Paul's example in in these opening verses in Colossians 1 verses 3 through 5 that Christians express gratitude to God for His goodness to His people. Christians express gratitude to God for His goodness to His people. How often do we We think about thanksgiving from that angle. How often do we think of giving thanks to God from that perspective? Thanking God for what He's doing in your life. Thanking God for for His intervention, for His grace, for His peace, for His mercy, for for all that He does in your life or in my life, in the lives of fellow Christians. Listen to, to how Paul opened many of his letters in the New Testament with this exact same theme. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. He wrote, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in all our prayers. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we ought always to thank God for you. Brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more in the love of all of you have for one another is increasing. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Philemon, verses 4 and 5, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and following, we always thank God 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. I think it's clear from Scripture, it's clear from the New Testament that Paul's faith in God and his faith in the working of God led him to give thanks for all believers. Paul was a man who, who prayed for churches everywhere and gave thanks for believers everywhere. And so should we. Giving thanks to God for His goodness in the lives of other believers. And the subject of his thanksgiving, the reason that he gave thanks, the things that caused him to give thanks for other believers, it's fairly consistent throughout many of these examples. And we... You read here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, that he gave thanks for their faith in Christ Jesus. Church, believers ought to thank God for the Christian faith of fellow believers. We ought to thank God for the Christian faith of fellow believers, the Christian faith of one another. We ought to thank God that, that his spirit has convicted the hearts of others, convicted the hearts of of those gathered here today in His name, in His honor, convicted them of sin and drawn them by by His grace to faith in Christ just as He did with us. And as expressed in Colossians chapter 1, we ought to give God thanks when we see others come to faith in Christ. When we see examples of the faith of other believers in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to thank God for their faith and also we see that we ought to thank God for Christian love among fellow believers. To thank God for Christian love among fellow believers. Look back at Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have For all God's people. Love for one another. Love for our Christian family. Serving as a witness. Serving as a testimony to the genuineness of our faith in Christ. Jesus said it this way to his followers. As recorded in John chapter 13. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. William Barclay, who was 20th century minister, Scottish minister, well-known minister, described faith in Christ and love for fellow man as the double commitment that together comprise the two pillars of the Christian faith. Certainly, our, our love for each other, love for... For our church family, our love for other Christians, for brothers and sisters in Christ, does serve to authenticate, to to provide evidence for the genuineness of our faith in Jesus Christ. Faith and love are markers of growth in Christ. A measure of our understanding of the gospel, our recognition of the gospel And each of these spring from a third reason for giving thanks. 
We see here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, that we ought to thank God for the gospel hope that we all have in Christ. We ought to thank God for the Christian faith of fellow believers. We ought to thank God for the Christian love among fellow believers. And we ought to thank God for the gospel hope that we all have in Christ. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Gospel hope is the hope of eternal life. Gospel hope is the hope of salvation. Gospel hope is the foundation, the basis for Serving others in the name of Christ. Living for Christ in this world. Gospel hope is the hope that this world is not all there is. This is the hope of the gospel. The hope that we have by salvation. Of the grace of God. Through faith in God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. And together, faith, hope, and love. Three Christian virtues that we ought to Thank God for granting to us and granting to believers everywhere. Granting to all those who comprise the church, past, present, and future. On Colossians 1, when Paul is describing giving thanks to God for for fellow Christians, for the church in Colossae, it takes place in the context of prayer. He's praying for them. Giving thanks to God for them is is one way in which he prays for them. We learn from God's word here that in their prayers for each other, Christians thank God for his grace on his people. In their prayers for each other. In other words, it's assumed that Christians are going to pray for one another. In their prayers for each other, Christians thank God for his grace on his his people. That's the central truth, the central message that I believe we see from these opening verses in Colossians chapter 1, a takeaway that we can take and latch onto and apply to our own lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, I want you to know, church family, that I was convicted about these truths this week. I was convicted that, that I don't pray for you enough, that I don't give thanks to God for you enough as fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ so know that that you have been the subject of my thanksgiving to God this week as I thank the almighty God of heaven and earth for your faith in Christ and for your love for each other and for the gospel hope that we have in and through Jesus Christ my daughter who many of you know has been the subject of many uh, sermon illustrations <laughs> in recent days. I've got to take advantage of this while I can get away with it. In a few years, I know I won't be able to get away with it. My daughter has recently learned a, a Thanksgiving prayer through the Meadowbrook Preschool Program, a prayer that I think has a couple different versions, uh, a prayer that perhaps uh, many of you know, but it goes something like this. God, our Father... God, our Father, we thank you. We thank you for our many blessings. For our many blessings. Amen.
Amen. And that is a good prayer, a reminder of the spiritual and physical blessings that God has given to each of us. But what if this Thanksgiving we also, we also prayed, God our Father, God our Father, we thank you. We thank you for their many blessings. For their many blessings. Amen. Church, this, this Thanksgiving, this week, as we think about the many provisions of God, the many blessings of God, a sovereign creator provides and cares for us, let's add centrifugal thanksgiving to our prayers. Thanking God for one another, praying for one another, thanking God for His grace on all His people. Father, we do thank You for this time together. We thank You for this opportunity to to express thanksgiving to You. And so, Lord, we do that now. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your goodness. Lord, we thank You for basic provisions day by day. Lord, we thank You for the way that You care for, for each of us. We thank You for salvation by grace to faith and Jesus Christ. Though we don't deserve it, Lord, you, you have devised a rescue plan. A plan to save us, to forgive us, to reconcile us with you so that we might have the hope of eternal life. Thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have gathered here this day. Lord, I thank you for their faith in you. Lord, I thank you for their love for each other, Lord, and we thank you for the gospel hope that we have in you. Lord, remind us of it this week. Be glorified in us this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.